Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey, welcome to the American Liberties Call. Sorry for the delay in getting started, but it was beyond my control. Talk shoe had a problem, and... Uh, and we had to shut down for a little bit. I reboot my computer and got it uh, fired up again. And now we're working with a where I can control the board and everything. Um, uh, I'm going to assume for the moment that um, uh, that everybody has the book Codebreaker, the section, the Section 83 equation. And the more I read this. Ah oh, man, let me tell you, the better I like it, and and I'm not going to even begin to believe that I'm going to articulate this information as well as Dave Merlin. I don't think there's anybody on the planet that can articulate Section 83 better than him, or argue any point of law as far as that matters. Uh, but as you know, Dave has, uh, excuse me, he has many issues. If he got the criminal complaint. In the uh, which we have in in book volume number one, which is a criminal complaint that went to Congress, and with that you got um, you got a, a ton of information that goes even it, you know it addresses the twenty five fifty five form, uh, you know foreign earned income. Uh, it addresses the uh, Section 83, it addresses, um, I mean, all, all the issues of um, the statutory claims, the statutory challenge, and it goes into, uh, you know, statutory interpretation must be strict. And so a lot of what you see in this book in Section 83 is all combined into one. Now, what's what's so powerful, and what I like mainly about Section 83, is that you heard many times on the calls, if you've been on the calls before, how Section 83 um, is the cost of your labor, and and how you go to there first before you go to Section 61. Many people argue. Well, the statutes don't apply to me, and or you know I'm not the all caps name, and and all these issues, and Dave likes to say you know the Patriot movement just doesn't move because you know in and what he's actually saying is that you know you keep arguing the same thing over and over again, and people are going to jail for it. You know it really isn't moving. You know it's just rotating. If anything. You know, next in line to go to prison, next in line. And so, you know, we, we've helped many people uh, not go go to, uh, not to get indicted. Now, once you're indicted, it's another story. And uh, and Dave has a brief, which is in volume two of, of his series, that is articulates the um, void for vagueness. I mean, it's it's great. And uh, and we have a, a lawyer now that saw it and likes the brief, and I'm hoping he's going to use it on a client that the client was found guilty. She went to for a sentencing Monday, and they let her out on on appeal bond, and that is uh, that's unheard of these days. But I think that's an indication that even the judge feels that it's ambiguous, you know, and uh, so we'll see what happens because they're going to appeal it and uh, and we'll go from there. Okay, so with that being, oh, and what I wanted to say is even if you lose the argument of 
uh, and and don't go to court for this. Do it in an administrative challenge. Use section use section 1203 of the 1998 Reconstruction Act. Use the the Treasury regulations under 31 CFR 0.027 and 0.028. They have to answer. They have to answer faithfully, lawfully, and and without falsification. I mean, it's pretty clear. And so when you use the verbiage and you start to ask them questions, then if they don't answer, they they could get into some serious problems. This is where I see where the people that are winning, getting their money back and getting their, uh, their liens drop are using a lot of this language. And hopefully within the next couple uh, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, if not a couple of months, I'm, I'm going to get more on top of this because I see the results, I'm witnessing it, and I love it. Okay, let's go ahead and get to the book. Let's go to page first, 3 of 94, where it says tangible and intangible property. And to go ahead, I'm not going to read the book to you guys, but here it says, you know, the property, which is particular to proper to any person, which belongs exclusively to one. Now, it belongs to you. It's yours. Think for a minute outside of what God created. Okay, God created the, the planet. He created the, you know, he, he put everything in place. And then he sat and rest, Okay. Now, from that point on, anything, think of one thing that is available that is not from somebody else's labor. I mean, the chair you sit in, the desk you sit at, the very communication tools that we use today, the automobile that you drive, the motorcycle or the skateboard that you travel on, it doesn't matter. Everything is is derived from labor. Everything. The food is derived from somebody planting the seed to somebody picking it, taking it to the store, putting it on the shelf. Everything is derived from labor. So labor, as the Supreme Court said, on page 5 of 94, it, is, it has been well said that labor, or the property, excuse me, the property which every man has is his own labor, inviolable, I mean, oh, excuse me, his own labor, as it is the original foundation of all other property. So it is the most sacred, inviolable, meaning, you know, secure from violation, impregnable to assault or trespass. Okay, so the patrimony of the poor man lies in the strength of dexterity of his own hands and to hinder his employing his strength and dexterity in what manners he thinks proper, without injury to his neighbor. It is plain violation of the most sacred property, the man's labor. And then the Supreme Court goes on to say in another case that the personal liberty and the right of private property partake in the nature of each of his rights Basically, you know, getting to the shortcut, everybody's entitled to the fruits of his own labor. So if I work and I gain something from working, not gain as far as profit, but meaning that I collect uh, the fruits, who are you to tax it? Who is anybody to tax a piece of the action that I work so hard to get? 
I mean, this is what America is all boiled down to. And, um, I mean, you know, we talk about taxation without representation. It's beyond that. It's extortion. It's debt. And um, and we, the people, got to do something to stop this from happening. Okay? So it goes on down the page. You can read all the court cases how, you know, even Evans versus Gore, the 16th Amendment does not justify the taxation of persons or things previously immune. So if we were immune from the tax of our the fruits of our labor before the 16th Amendment, are we not immune from it after the 16th Amendment? Of course, even more so, because the 16th Amendment says that Congress has power to lay and collect taxes. Not the secretary, not the treasurer, not the um, uh, the IRS agent or his grandmother. Excuse me, I'll be right back. So, as on page 5 of 94, after the list of the court cases, it says... Did we just hear that the Supreme Court referred to the right of free labor as the most sacred right of man? Does the nation under God tax that which comes from him? No. Okay. So, again, moving along, we're going to go over to the uh, uh, page uh, 6 of 94. Now, you know, we we just under we just now understand that property is your asset that is, that belongs to you. Nobody can say, well, he did buy his property, so everything he makes from it, from his labor, is is um, is is profit and gain. Excuse me, I got a cough again. So, uh, so with that being said, that's the wrong way of looking at it because, you know, the IRS wants to say something. We're going to get to that later about labor and what they think of labor because they don't have a statutory exclusion. And that's the whole key to everything here is the statutes, okay? How, you know how a lot of us say the statutes don't apply to me? Well, you're right. But argue it in the sense to show them how it doesn't apply to you. Don't just say, well, the statutes don't apply to me. I don't have to listen to you. You're going to jail. I guarantee it. But if you show the statutes who it does apply to, then how can you determine that the, that I am defined in the statutes when I'm not even mentioned in it? How can you bring me in and tell me that I'm a citizen of the United States as defined by the Internal Revenue Code when it doesn't even mention me living as an American citizen in one of the 50 states? I'll stipulate that I'm a citizen of the United States. I can argue that because we are the constitutional citizen of the United States and we have the statutory definition of the United States in, in, you know, in certain other titles. But we're talking about Title 26. And, and even in Title 8 and, and some others, the definition of citizen of the United States is not the same def- definition as as you're defined in the Constitution. So, you know, the, uh, but you don't need to get into that argument because I'll stipulate however you want to say I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm only mentioned in regulations, but not in statutes. But you know what's so powerful about this book, Section 83? Even if I was Joe Citizen, working for the federal government as an employee, getting a federal check every week, and, you know, and getting all the benefits of the federal government, 
I can use Section 83 as to show that I don't owe a tax. And when you read this book and understand it all, and that's what we're going to go through, we're going to take an hour because I don't want to get burnt out with this and, and, you know, too much information is overload. But I'm hoping to get to some of the key points. So I'm going to use the, the, you say, you working for me and, and I'm the guy paying you. You work for me for a certain amount of dollars, okay, whether it be $100 or $1,000. That is a contract between you and I. First of all, what does the Constitution say about contracts? The government can't interfere with the, con- with the contracts. Now, if it's illegal, of course they can But if it's a private contract among private citizens, and I'm not in a public office, I am a private person, and if I contract with another private person, or even if I contract with the government, okay, the money that they pay me is the cost. They're paying me for the cost of my labor. I am selling my labor for the cost of the compensation that's going to be paid for services, and there's nothing in excess over the cost. So I didn't make any income, meaning and whenever you hear the term income, just think, put in parentheses, you know, in your mind, profit and gain. Because didn't the Supreme Court say that income is defined as profit and gain? Doesn't the uh, Section 83, uh, uh, and I don't know how Dave got this, but, but Dave's right, that cost is defined all over Title 26 as being the excess over the amount paid for the service or, or, or the compensation paid. So um, it's... Um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, LT, you can go ahead and um, and listen. You know, listen to the call and catch up to where we are. But the um, <clears throat> but when you when I make a contract with you and you're going to work for me for a certain amount of money or property, because money is property, labor is property, and we're going to go. And if you go to um, back to uh, where where it talks about the court court excuse me blah, 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 where it talks about the court cases and Monticello and the others property is money money is property the Supreme Court it was argued in the Supreme Court and the DOJ won on uh, four different times that any property unless there's a statutory exclusion. And uh, so they would have to reverse and ignore their wins to try to steal your property in court. And that's why they can't do this. That's why they run from it now. And um, so uh, with that being said, the, you know, it's, it's a arm's length transaction. What that means, in, uh, and this is on page 6 of 94, in the middle, the Black's Law 6th edition, arm's length transaction said of a transaction negotiated between unrelated parties, each acting in, um, in his or her own interest, the basis of a fair market value determination. That means if, if I pay you $100 an hour to do a certain job, that's fair market value, okay? That's the value of your labor. And can I get somebody cheaper? If, if I'm paying you 100 bucks an hour, can I get somebody for $70 an hour? Yeah, but it's still the fair market value. If, if I was to get uh, John Travolta, to, to mow my lawn, but he wanted a uh, you know fifteen thousand dollars an hour. Is that um, is that fair market value for John Travolta? Is that's what the contract is? That's what I deem to be fair. That's what he deemed to be fair. 
and I take that as fair market value. Now, again, if Dave Merlin was on the call, he would interrupt me and probably correct me on 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 a tidbit. So don't, you know, this is not, um, you know, don't construe to anything that I'm saying is law and written in stone. This is my interpretation. This is the way I think, and this is the way that I would argue it. So with that being said, a transaction in good faith in the ordinary course of business by parties with independent interests, you have the, I have the interest of getting the job done, you have the interest of, of getting the job done. The standard, which under unrelated parties, we're not related here, you work for me and I work for you and then we go our separate ways, Each acting in his both interests would carry out a particular transaction. Now, the Supreme Court agrees with this definition. See Cartwright versus the U.S. or U.S. versus Cartwright. The definition makes perfect sense when foundations of American culture are held in consideration. Foundations like free enterprise and open market. In an arm's-length transaction, the market sets its price. If the price is too high, can it be unrelated party go elsewhere to obtain what what is you seek to dispose of? Yes. You know, I always used in sales when I had my pool company. I used to tell people when they argue about price and so forth and so on. I said, you know... We, we're in a free market system. I'm looking for the best deal, and you're looking for the best deal. Now, his deal, he was looking to get the best price for the pool. My deal was to get the best price that I could for the pool, but they were different. I'll be right back. I got a cough. Okay, I hope I can make it an hour. Okay, so. Now, what Dave points out on page 7 of 94, he explains the fair market value. And in there, in short, labor is property. We we got that, right? Everybody understands labor is property. You never want to say to an IRS agent or to anybody that, hey, I exchanged my labor for, for money and therefore it's not taxable. That's wrong. That's going to nip you in, in, in the butt every time. However, when you say the cost of my labor, okay, you're selling your labor. Get that. You're selling your labor. Say it five times. You're selling your labor for compensation for services. You're offering a service. You're selling your labor to do that service, and you're getting compensated for that service. Does that make sense? So when you so when you when that happens, you're not getting any access over the amount paid for the service, okay, or over the compensation. Now, in the provisions of, uh, in, in publication 17 on page 118, back in 1994, now remember, Dave, did this originally in 1994. He came out with his first book. And I got that book. Awesome. Give me. And everything in here is, is pretty much the same. It says, now we're on page 7 of 94. It says, the basis of property you buy is usually its cost. The cost is the amount of cash and debt obligations you pay for it and the fair market value of other property or services you provide in the transaction. 
Okay, so that's pretty clear there. And then if you go to CFR, I think it's one CFR one point. Hold on a minute. Uh, I wish I had the mind like like Dave does, but it ain't there, man. It ain't there, babe. No, no, no. Hold on a minute. <clears throat> it is. Uh, okay, yeah, CFR 1.1012-1, parent A. And it pretty much says the same thing. The basis of property you buy is usually its cost. Okay, so when you're buying property, it is the cost. Now, is it cost to you? Of course. If I'm selling it, the question is now, am I making a profit? All right? And because, you know, if I buy something for $5 and I turn around and sell it to you for $10, the cost to you is $10. But the cost to me was $5 and I'm selling it for $10, so I'm making a profit of $5. Now, theoretically, is it taxable? No, because I'm not mentioned in the statutes as, as an American citizen living in one of the several states. I'm only mentioned in regulations. The statutes take precedence over the regulations. You, you know, you can't enforce a rate regulation as a statute. That, that is a usurpation. That's usurping the, you know, the executive branch is now making law from the, uh, from its branch, and they can't do that. The executive can only make rules and regulations to run their operation or run their criminal op, uh, operation to steal your money. But the fact is, you, uh, uh, statutes rule. Okay, that's the fact. All right, now. That that quote that I was quoting out of publication number 17 goes all the way up in, in this uh, uh, book that Dave wrote, the volume one, The Criminal Complaint. Um, it goes all the way up to the year 2000, and it still says the same thing. The basis of property you buy is usually its cost. The cost is the amount you pay in cash, debt obligations, or other property. What's other property? Money, labor, period, okay? So get with that, understand that, meditate, translate and meditate. Now, Section 83, this is where the, this is where the, uh, the heart starts going, okay? Uh, <clears throat> Section 83 on page 8 of 94 in the middle, it says, Section 83, property transferred in connection with the performance of services. If, in connection with the performance of service, property is transferred, dot, 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 the access over the fair market value of such prop, prop, over, okay, let me start over again, or partially start. The access of dot 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 the fair market value of such property dot 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 over the amount, if any, paid for such property shall be included in the gross income of the person who performs such services. It shall be access. The amount, if any, paid for such property shall be included in gross income. The access of the amount paid, okay? So it doesn't say the cost. In in all businesses, like when I was in the swimming pool uh, construction, I used to take all my cost of doing business, the materials, the labor, the, you know, just the general, <clears throat> give me, I think I, 
Just the general cost of everything to run my business was all deducted from gross income. And any profit I made over the above the, the access is what I had to pay taxes on. Hold on, i got to cough again. So, uh, the an appeals court explains says Section 83A explains how property received in exchange for services is taxed. The Court of Appeals in three different circuits has ruled that Section 83 applies to all. Now that's a big word, which you'll see later in this book. All compensation for services and explains how to tax it. But one would be hard-pressed to explain how 83 allows the fair market value to be included in gross income. Section 83 addresses the fair market value, access, and gross income, but only the access is associated with gross income. How can an individual include the fair market value in gross income without violating Section 83? Good question. It cannot be done. This is the statute or code section that is not being enforced. See? And when, <clears throat> when you write a letter to the IRS, and they you know they send you a you know a computation of of what the 1040 should have been or ought to be you say hey you write back and say how how did you use section 83 to de- determine that I owe gross income or that I even have gross income it's not to be deducted from gross income it is to figure gross income see a lot of people were making that mistake, and as, as well as myself. So when you go to 9 of 24, now you see paragraphs there where he talks about uh, section in the CFR. Now, what is the CFR? It's the Code of Federal Regulation. This is where the executive branch make rules and procedures on how to enforce the statute. <clears throat> so the, um, let's see what this says. The section's specific that gross income includes property transferred to an employee in connection with the performance of serv- services provided by such employee. It is not an exclusion. The check issued to XXX Corporation, named omitted, to you as an employee do not fall within the definition of Section 26, 1.83-3E, or IRC Section 83 does not determine the taxability of your wages. That was Mary Psalm of Internal Revenue Agent. The amount taxable as ordinary income was the lesser of the fair market value for the stock over the individual cost of the stock. The language of the section covers transfer of any, any property transferred in connection with the performance of services. The legislative history makes it clear that Congress was aware that the statute covers extended beyond restricted stock plans for employees. So you can read these court cases, and and when you read it, read it over and over to make sure you understand. Now, we're going to move on right along here. And, uh, well, one court case is important here on the next page, 10 of 94. Section 83 applies to all property. See, now, for anybody that said, well, it doesn't include labor, great. Can you provide the statutory exclusion? And that's what you're going to hear, silence. (laughs) 
you're going to hear, you know, the wind, you know, a draft by the IRS agent running away from that question because he can't answer it unless he just goes blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, he can't answer it. And so, you know, because there's got to be a statutory exclusion, not a regulation exclusion, not, you know, the law dictionary exclusion. It's got to be statutory. It's got to come from the legislative branch, the one that has limited power to make laws of the land, okay? And 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 they make laws of other land like America, Samoa, and Puerto Rico. <clears throat> so, with that being said, let's go to page 11 of 94, the aggregate of rights. Black Law Dictionary is a widely accepted authority upon which to draw from interpretation of the legal terms. And when you go down to intangible property and all that, David, you know, puts it in there and explains it quite well. If not, go to the Law Dictionary yourself and check every every portion and and every word in it and see if it doesn't um, uh, say what 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 he wrote. And 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 just so that you all know, I'm I'm a I'm I'm a um, a hound when it comes to qualifying what somebody says. I can I I find more court cases going around that are being misinterpreted or misquoted. And when you know when somebody puts a uh, a quote, well this court said in a quote, and it doesn't say it. now the court case may imply it, and that's okay, but it doesn't quote it. And so when you quote a court case, be on point. Cut, you know, with our technology today, we can cut and paste right out of it, and um, and it's there. Okay, so rights to intangible property. Intangible property is, you know, if, if uh, is like, you know, your what you think and what you do, you know. Uh, uh, you know what you put in your in your in your books and everything, and uh, and you sell the book. It, it, it's your thoughts, it's, you know, your your creation. So anyhow, let's go on down uh, again. Here it is on page twelve of ninety four. Cost basis, the the base of property. Okay, the foundation, the base of property you buy is usually as cost. The cost is the amount you pay for it or services you provide in the transaction. Your cost also includes. Now, the IRS had just informed you that services are cost. So when, you, so when you're working for somebody or you're performing a service, um, that is the cost. I'm talking to uh, some company owners now. Uh, in network marketing uh, and saying, uh, look, you know, you're wanting me to sign a, a W-9 to produce a, a 1099. Now, I'm getting a little bit off point here, but uh, but it starts a conversation. And what I say, the amount that you're going to pay me is that I'm going to assume for a minute that you're not paying me in any access whatsoever over the agreement that I'm going to produce a certain service and you're going to compensate me for that service. And when you do, there's not going to be any access over and above what we contracted for. Are we in agreement? And he goes, absolutely. And I said, so why are you going to send me a form that, is going to say different. Now we get into a discussion. And now I got his attention. And now I'm going to be educating him. And guess what? I'm going to be educating a lot of people on this. I already sent them the book. In fact, I sent them all the books and the flash drive. And um, so it's going to be an interesting um, future on that. 
Is there any future for America? Let's hope for the best. Or rather, let's pray for the best. Okay, so to make it um, go along a little bit smoother, you got, um, we'll jump over to page 15. And because we're jumping, don't exclude reading the pages in between. I'm only highlighting some some initial things that I that jumped out on me that really hit home with me, like the right to labor. Now, <clears throat> this is a good argument for me because LT, let's just say that you're working on an oil rig, and I say LT, look. <clears throat> uh, my name is Joe Bonanno, and I and you're going to be working on that oil rig over there. I want ten cents of every dollar you make. Now, there's two questions you're going to have, or two positions you're going to take. One is, well, ten cents is not that much. I'll, I'll give you the ten cents, and uh, and we'll go from there. Now, what did that do? That opened up a can of worms for for you. Because if I can get 10 cents, can I get 15? Can I get 20? Do I hear 30? Do I hear 35? You know, once I open that door, it's open, okay? Well, if you agree to 10 cents, what's, what's the, why, why not agree to 15 cents? See, and that's what they did over the years. They, you know, they started off with, you know, 1% or 2%, which wasn't a whole lot. Now look. You know that they want thirty-five to forty-five percent of your wages. Give me a break. Now the other position could take. <clears throat> well, that's my right to labor. I have I have full undisclosed right. I don't have to give you any piece of of my labor because that would be involuntary servitude if it's against my will. And if it's against my will, even if I do it, an act done against my will is not my will. That is a maxim of law. That's a legal maxim. So you can, you know it's under duress, and I can come back and 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 uh, and sue for trespass, which there's a lot of. A lot of things that I'm learning lately. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I'm telling you, I am really hyped on a lot of the stuff that I'm learning, and um, it's just time and money that takes <laughs> that slows me down. But um, and uh, and with that said, I want to say real quick: tomorrow night we're having another talk show on another talk show channel. I got three talk shows, but we're having one regarding gold. And the protection of it. So, if if you don't have gold in your futures, you might want to come to the call tomorrow night because we're gonna. I got some guests that are coming on, and we're gonna show you how you can make a whole lot of money by using other people's money. Yeah, you're gonna need a little to get started, but it's gonna it's gonna pay dividends. Okay, and I mean, and the and and the and the and the gold is out of this country, and yet you have all rights to it. In fact, it can be on a debit card, and you can pay it in gold, and, and nobody gets it anywhere. I mean, it's awesome. So I would I beg to come for you to come on the call tomorrow night and just get the information. Okay, so you got the rights to labor. And he goes through the fair market value there in, in some court cases. And uh, in Black's Law Dictionary, again, about the arm's length uh, transaction. And what I like about this book, a lot of it, you know, people say, well, it's kind of redundant. Well, yeah, you know, we need redundancy. We don't get it the first time, I can promise you. I don't. And, um, I mean, I'll read something over and over and over again. You should have seen when I went to the grand jury in 2007. Prior to that, I spent days, literally days, going over Title IV, Section 72, 
every single word, looking up in the Black's Law Dictionary and Bouvier's Dictionary and looking at the statutes and trying to prove Dave wrong. Because when I stood up in front of that grand jury, I knew that I knew without the shadow of a doubt that I knew that these guys did not have a leg to stand on and I was not about to give in. And this is what I want you, LT and others, to get a hold of because this information is is founded on principle of this country. And the principle is that there is no taxation without representation. Anything over and above that or any excess above that is pure extortion and theft. Okay? So um, this is how they put you in 24. Okay, I'm not sure what that means. Okay, so anyhow, um, uh, income... Okay, we got here on page 16 of 94, and we got about 15 minutes left. Uh, What do authorities say about labor? Do they deem labor intangible personal property to be the cost when it's disposed of to obtain other property? What are services or labor or work? Is it gain or is it cost? Or can it be both? Any all emphasis on this memorandum shall be construed to have been added. Income is used in the statute should not be given the meaning so that it is include everything that comes in. The true function of the word gain and profit is to limit the meaning of the word income. Pretty good, huh? Get a hold of that. You know, if at the first reading, I didn't understand that. And sometimes I'll co- I'll go back a few months later and re- read it, and I got to re remassage that and rethink it, okay? And and ask myself questions and even argue with myself. You should see the arguments I have with myself. Holy mackerel, you don't want to be around. The basis of property you buy is usually the cost. Here we go again on page seven, um, 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 paragraph, excuse me, publication 17. Every man has a natural right to the fruits of his labor. Here we go. We're getting redundant again, but but it, it is in a different context and is very much needed. Okay, so the authorities we have cited show that labor, now I'm on page 17 and 94 in the middle paragraph there. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read parts of it. The authorities have cited how labor is a doom and is submitted to with uh, fidelity, secure a blessing of the human family. The obligation of labor being impervious confers a right to labor. Which right is property? Which right is property? Excuse me. And it cannot be withdrawn or destroyed by arbitrary legislation without the violation of a natural right. Okay, enough said about that. Okay, moving on to page 18. Here's a good case law quote in Atkins versus the Children's Hospital. It's a U.S. Supreme Court decision. In principle... There could be no difference between the case of selling labor and the case of selling goods. Going down, the Internal Revenue Code, Section 83, applies to any compensation income. Now, any means all. Okay, it's all, you know, it pretty much means the same thing, unless... There's a statutory exclusion. And then it gives a a bunch of court cases there. And one of the... uh, Let me move on. Let me move on to... uh, A 
again, read read these pages in between. Um, we go here to page 20 of 94. We got 10 minutes left. One uh, cost is deductible. One particular axiom of income taxation that is applied to virtually every business and, and self-employed person in figuring their tax liabilities is that any cost is to be deducted. This is not an examination of labor as property, but rather only a look at the Supreme Court decision where this axiom deduct costs, which discussed in length. And it goes on to the from this page to the next page. So I would um, ask you to read that, medit translate and meditate, and read it slowly. Every word in statue has has a has a meaning. Okay, and then <clears throat> then what Dave does so great is. Why income section eighty three applies to all other chapters. See this is this is so important. Okay? You look down and what do you got in chapter one? You got gross income from section one through thirteen ninety nine, subtitle A. It's gross income. Everything is about a gross income. If you read all of Section A, it only talks about the individual. It doesn't define what the individual is. It could be the trust in another chapter. It could be excise tax. It could be... Uh, the tax in Chapter 2, 1401 through 1403, self-employment. It could be Chapter 21 in 3101 through 3128, FICA. Or it could be the federal withholding in Chapter 24 and 3401. It could be any of those. But you know what's so good about this? is that in 1402B, in Chapter 2, in 1402B2, it says that a citizen of the United States is basically a resident of Puerto Rico, Guam, or America, Samoa, not me. In Chapter 21, where Sections 3101 through 3128 in 3121E, it says, if, if you're a resident of Puerto Rico, but not otherwise a citizen of the United States, that's not me. In Chapter 24, in 3401 through, um, oh, and in Chapter 21 also, in 3306J, if you're a if you're a, a resident of Puerto Rico but not otherwise a citizen of the United States, that's not me. So it's very important that you understand Section 83 because even if it was you, you could still use Section 83. See, so you don't want to you don't want to uh, if 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 you're going to have a wide span of of arguments. You, you you pretty much want to focus it to uh just the uh, to the pertinent things. Now uh, I'm going to stop here. We got five minutes left and so I'm gonna go back be, be, uh, before I bring you on cent central Colorado. Uh let's see, we um uh, Okay, I hung up and been repeat okay. <clears throat> okay, um uh, Experience should add to cost, yes. Uh, after 50 years' experience of service gains is huge value for service, not access. And FOIA, and a FOIA for IRS codes 204, 205, or 2005 to 2004, show my residence in Virginia. Yes, I know that, and, and you need to correct that. And I have a lady friend that uh, up, up in Mass, I think it is, it's really good at that. 
Again, it's just time and money. I got to get to this stuff. Uh, it is the 1040 absolute. Is the 1040 absolute the correct form to use when they say it's a form for a gift and estate tax? I believe that's what. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what the 1040 form is really for. <coughs> it's just not. <coughs> excuse me. It's just not a form for me to sign. I can't sign a 1040 under the penalties of perjury knowing that I can use Section 83 even if I was subject and liable for the tax. If I use Section 83, that would dispel that myth. So how can I fill out a 1040 when I'm deprived of using Section 83? This is a question that you need to ask the IRS agent in a certified mail letter and 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 uh, let them not respond, okay? Because we have ways now that we can get to that. How to deal with this, okay? Um, guess six, perjury, fraud, lying, extortion, absolutely. My friend Foya said his wife was a drug dealer. Yeah, I know, isn't that great? Uh, <coughs> excuse me, I got a cough. Um, okay, that is how they put you in 24. Okay, I'm not sure what you mean by that, guess six. We're all going to die. Well, that's one day we will. Uh, except if you know Christ, then um, you've got that beat. Uh, underground super Nazis will continue to surface. Okay, we don't need to go there. Uh, and he left the chat, so that's a good thing. Um, okay, Central uh, Florida, uh, Colorado, um, here you go. Go ahead. Hi, Chappie. Um, Hi, how you doing? I'm, I'm fine. I, this is Granny Nanny again, and I've been listening. And several years ago, I too did a FOIA and found out that I, now I, you need to know, I've been a nurse for 50 years, a trauma ER nurse. I retired a year ago. And I've never lived outside of uh, Colorado, New York, Ohio, and Oregon. And um, But I found out I was listed as a resident of the U.S. Virgin Islands. I was a drug dealer and a gun dealer. And um, I figured that's probably how they shoved me into Chapter 24 and 21 and you know, that you have to be a member of those. Um, uh, you, have to, you have to be, um, I'm still trying to learn this, um, type 83. Uh, you have to be a resident of those countries to be eligible for your Social Security tax and et cetera. And I figured that's how they looped me in. And probably I I didn't FOIA of all my 50 years of work because it would have been, been um, cost um, prohibitive. <laughs> but anyway, um, I uh, since 1996, I've known uh, that uh, they are unlawfully taking my property. And I filed probably two or three hundred um, requests and I have um, return receipts requested and never, ever, ever, ever got an answer. And then I started getting extorted, all these threatening letters and stuff, and I went to a, quote, tax, um, what would you call it, um, expert, (laughs) (laughs) an IRS agent, really, who um, (laughs) had me fill out... uh, uh, w uh, or um, what are they? Ten forty forms for like eleven or twelve years, and then uh, I signed them and sent them in, and then rescinded them because I knew it wasn't the right thing. I knew it was not right. Anyway, 
uh, so I've never gone to jail. I've never gone to court, but I did get a notice of levy, and they're taking and have been for four years taking one thousand seven hundred a month from me, my entire social security check for the last four years. Yeah, see that violates the statutes, laws, and and just good and think a uh, good uh, good moral standards. Um, you need to. Um, there's there's some people out. There, I mean, I sent your your information to Don. Let's see if he can. Uh, yeah. I'm not yes, qualified I, to help uh, you he, yet, but go ahead. Yeah, huh? no, I know the administrative process. I've done it. You know, I've done it a million times, and that's probably why I'm not in prison and have never been indicted. You know what I'm well, saying? Well, uh, not only that, they're stealing a thousand over a thousand bucks a month from you too. Why? Why put you in prison? One thousand seven hundred, Chappie. Yeah. Yeah, and my husband is eighty-four, and I ain't a spring chicken either. <laughs> yeah. I, I, okay. uh, however, I did some. Um, uh, I, um, you know, God has been good. That's all I can say, and uh, He has taken care of us, and. Um, I, uh, because I'm a nurse, I know what is going on with my 84-year-old husband, mm-hmm. and um, so he's still alive and shouldn't be. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I, you know, I I can go on like this. It, that isn't even an issue for me because these bastards are thieves. They are thieves and evil, and I don't know what to do except what I've done. And um, um, well, I'm not located. <laughs> okay, well, let's here. Let me get to see if there's any other, other questions at the top of the hour, and I don't want well, to prevent people from getting well, on the Angela's call. Okay, uh, my question is: Is will this 83 uh, uh, do anything at this point in my? Email me tomorrow. Email me tomorrow about a letter, and we'll and I'll send you a letter that 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 you can uh, send in and see what okay, happens. Kathy. Okay, Kathy, and I'll sign the granny nanny. Thanks, Kathy. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, yeah. Um, uh, hold on a minute. <clears throat> yeah, uh, LT. <coughs> the. Um, Excuse me, I got a cough again. Hold on just a second. The um what I wanted to say is that the ten forty creates a presumption that you're a US territory and that's fine. You still have Section 83 to rely on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about international law when you're talking Section 83. See, this is what's so powerful about Section 83, because it expressly, explicitly, without reservations, it says all compensation paid for all and or any property. So with that being said, look, it's um, it's five at going on uh, after nine now, and my throat is about had it for for this evening. I hope the beginning of this was um, fruitful for you. I hope it helps you understand. I want to have another call because we got several more and more pages. I was hoping to get a little further than I did because um, you need to read <clears throat> in closing. Well, what did I do with my book? All right, everybody put their hands up against the wall. Oh, here it is. Okay, the um, uh, your homework assignment, people, is, okay, hold on is the um, the case law <clears throat> where you t- where we talked about the DOJ you know winning is around pages uh 73 I think it is um I thought I had it tagged um yeah no yes no um no, that's that's the criminal uh, offenses. 
Um, okay. Uh, yeah, around 90, 69, 68, 67. You got Monticello. You got uh, Gonzalez versus the U.S., uh, Rucker, uh, Alvarez. And uh, great court cases, and they explicitly explain how, you know, the statutes rule, okay? And um, so that's what we need to do. We need to get in there and uh, and study this because uh, – take a cough drop. Um, <clears throat> all right. Anyhow, my, my throat is, is going out for the night. God bless America. This call is officially over. Thank you very much. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.